In this episode, we're going to talk about a few additional verbal identifiers, things people often do and say when speaking that identify possible or definite deception. I'll give you a few examples of some additions to things we've talked about before. You can look for some of these in written form, although some of them will not communicate well in written form. And a lot of these I think you'll remember or have seen on some sort of TV show, whether documentary or fake, about law enforcement investigations or otherwise. But some of these are very common, very well known. Some of these are things that you've seen with children, but don't realize that there's more to it than just that. Oh, so common many of these techniques, and I think you'll see that you've heard some of them before, and some you probably have not. And it depends on what you know and understand about the subject. One of them is called mean length of utterance. What that means is the average amount of words a person uses as a sentence at any given time in any given day in normal, regular conversation. This can change with deception, especially when you're on the spot, per se, or being investigated under gun, or even during a traumatic event. While it is logically and psychologically sensible that trauma, traumatic events, can affect people's normal activities, we have to consider, especially for investigators, did this traumatic event directly affect this person? And how so that would make sense. So somebody comes home and finds a family member's just been murdered and it's very brutal and ugly, not just dead. Like they're it's bad, like straight out of a movie. It would make sense that there's could be a bigger, bigger shock there to that individual. Whereas a witness to a car wreck that has no dog in the fight per se may not make sense that they change. But the average amount of times a person speaks verbally is ten to fifteen words a sentence. That depends greatly on things they're doing. So, like, if you take this example, when somebody's teaching you something, that may not always play out that way. Sometimes it will. But normal, every common conversation, 10 to 15 words. What we see with deception is people go a significantly shorter or longer. Shorter tends to be with younger individuals, especially children, who don't know how to lie. They don't know how to be deceptive or form stories. It doesn't mean when they use fewer words that they're lying. Obviously, we've talked about bad questioning. Some people clearly ask yes or no questions. And that's what you get back. So that's less than 10 to 15 words. It doesn't make it deceptive. It could be just bad questioning. So we have to factor in the questions and allegations and statements being made by the other party to put value in, on that statement idea of 10 or 15 words doesn't make sense. Most of the time you'll find, especially with adults, people under stress, they will use more to 10 to 15 words. And the more words they use, the more vague they'll be. They'll avoid specific things that implicate them, or they'll use different types of words and phrases that draw kind of guilt and presumption away from them towards somebody else, or at least stopping it from being on them completely as they're trying to avoid getting caught for whatever they're doing. One of the other things to look for is when people allude to their actions or behaviors, especially during an investigation, but during questioning, anything that should have happened. So, for example, let's say a person has a normal routine every morning that when they get up, you know, they immediately jump in the shower, they get out of the shower, they make that cup of coffee, and they cook breakfast while they're drinking coffee, and they, you know, they get on Twitter, read the news or whatever, something we'd see in a TV show. But there are people that live like this. Then they go do something else that's important for the day at the house, whatever that chore is, and then they go to work. We'll say that's their activity. Something has happened. Something's different at home. Something's happened that they have been found out about, whether it was a legal activity or just somebody questioning their normal schedule and routine. And they say, well, you know, every morning I do things this way. They're alluding to the fact that that's what they did that day in question. That's not the same as saying 
well, here's what I did today. That is a huge sign of deception. People will typically not use references to themselves when they're being deceptive. When they're being more honest and talking about what they did, they'll say, this is what I did. Here's how I did it. Here's when I did it. That's typically what they'll do when they're being honest and being questioned about their activities and things that have happened. But when they allude to their normal activities that may very well be well-known or well to them, without saying that's exactly what they did, that's a huge sign of a deception, just alluding to it. So that's something to look out for that people commonly miss that I see all the time in conversations, especially people in relationships. Well, you know that I do things this way. That's not the same as saying that's what you did this time. Another common one, and I think part of these many of you have probably seen, especially in the United States, especially in certain parts of the United States, they have to do with things that we would call giving an oath. Not like going before a judge, but people use phrases like, as God is my witness or cross my heart, and kids cross my heart, you know, fingers crossed behind their back, are oaths of honesty that are huge signs of deception. But other ones include things like, I swear, like I swear this is what happened. Now, there's times when I've heard I swear that aren't used as an oath of deception where somebody has clearly made a statement about what they did or didn't do, hasn't shown any sign of deception, and the other person is so upset, so angry, not having clarity of mind, continuing to knock down that door, continuing to beat after them. And a person's like, I swear to God, this is not what you think. In that situation described that way, probably not deception. But if they start off right away with that, that's it very strong possible sign of deception. Remember, these are signs of deception, all of these. These are not necessarily factual indicators saying they are for sure lying, but depending on how the questions are being asked, depending on how many signs you see, depending on all the other things I've brought up in previous deception podcasts, if you're seeing a lot of those and it doesn't logically make sense that you're causing them to do those things, then yeah, there's probably enough there to say that they're not only being deceptive, they may very well be lying. A really big one that's common that I think people miss that happens so often. I not only see this, and I think it's well written into some shows that are fiction, like TV shows with law enforcement, but I've, I've seen it happen in the real world all the time, most of my life, and it's called equivocation. It's basically people are avoiding questions. So they're avoiding questions in this way. They get asked very direct questions, simple questions, may not even be an investigation, they're just ask questions. And they avoid answering those questions directly by giving statements of showing uncertainty. This uncertainty allows them to come back and kind of change their opinion, change their answer, make more deceptive statements like, well, what I meant was, or what I should have said was, all deceptive statements, to change it later as more information comes to be available to whoever is answering the question. It's a good way to deflect that people do all the time. Things like, well, I guess, or sort of, or maybe, or I think, perhaps, approximately, very vague statements. There's so many of those statements. Now, we hear them all the time. Doesn't mean when you hear those words that that word itself is a vague statement. It's how it's used in a sentence. Well, I suppose you might be right. That's a sign of deception. But if somebody asked a person a question out of curiosity, like when a child asks a parent, you know, how did this work? Well, I suppose it works something like this, something the parent doesn't understand. That by definition would be deception because they're kind of just, they are assuming. And saying, well, I suppose it probably works like this. But they're not doing it negatively. They're doing it in their best efforts, trying to teach a young child or teach somebody by making it clear they really don't know and understand. Completely different than being cornered in a conversation and somebody's like, well, I suppose you might be right. I suppose that's possible. That's just a sign of deception. They don't agree with you. They're not even really believing that statement. They're just trying to get you to shut up. Is a common way to use suppose. 
things like assume and figure, or this is, you know, believe. It's different when you say, well, I believe this, and you're having a conversation. I believe this. And then somebody says, well, I disagree. I believe this. And you have a debate and discussion and say, well, I just don't believe that. I understand everything you're presenting to me. And let's say it's a adult conversation. It's very logical. Nobody's getting upset. You present your arguments. Neither one of you change your mind because of what you believe. That's not deceptive. It's how you use it that makes it deceptive. Same with all these. I think I've mentioned before answering questions with questions or how people do it. Like, did you do this to so-and-so? Why would I do that to so-and-so? That typically is a sign of deception, but not always. For example, there's a question. <laughs> when I visit my mom, she asks me questions sometimes. And I say to her, how would I know that? And it's because I'm trying to understand how she thinks that's something I would know. Because I don't know. And I'm not being deceptive. So it depends on the context in which these things are happening when somebody asks questions. If somebody asks a question back to a question to gain clarity, that's not a sign of deception. That's gaining clarity. Now, there's times when it appears like they're gaining clarity, that they're trying to find a way around something or work around, or maybe you know them well enough to know they're trying to find a way out or a way to use this against you or make sure that's all the rules. If you didn't say this and I can do it, then clearly that's a sign of deception. But when you don't know that and it's general just because they don't understand or they want to know the purpose, why are we doing this? They just want to know the purpose. Instead of getting all upset about it, a good leader would just explain the purpose behind why we're doing it. Here's what's going on. So that makes it different depending on how you ask that question. But it's similar to the concept of the idea where somebody repeats back the question to you almost verbatim. It's a sign of deception, can be. But sometimes people people do that to buy time to come up with the answer. But when I talk about things like IXS queuing and the time it takes for somebody to answer a question, whether or not that's consistent, what their normal behavior is, some people's process in that where it might be silence, where they're trying to think through their answer and either form it together, that's just the speed that they work and these type of problem-solving skills in their head. Sometimes they do that verbally and just repeat the question out. Because a lot of us would repeat that question in our head if we're trying to put our thoughts together. Not every question that gets asked every time to most people have an immediate response. Some people are like, huh, let me think about that for a second. Oh, that's a good question. Like interviews, some people, man, that's a really good question. It's a really good question because they've done interviews all the time. They think some of the questions are dumb and they get tired of answering the same questions all the time. They don't understand the importance of that. They wish people wouldn't ask them the same questions all the time. And then they're shocked because they get this really good question and they need time to think about it because they're like, I, I didn't even anticipate that. Man, that's a good question. So it's not a sign of deception. Sometimes it's a sign of just needing to think. So it's understanding when we use these tools for deception, manipulation, whatever it is, trying to figure out why people are lying, trying to figure out their motivations, how their brains work and how they're thinking is why I say there's no single one sign, let alone the fact that you need clusters, three or more typically, and there's usually going to be four or five at least. Put them together over time, which if you're quick enough to pick a bottom can be a couple of minutes to longer to figure out, do all these pieces together mean this person's lying to me or overall, are they really being deceptive and being misleading and I just can't identify the lie? And through that process, let's say you identify 25 things. That's realistic. You identify 25 and you can write off four or five of them, right? 20% because, well, there's all these signs of deception, but this one common sign of deception is just them repeating the question back because I know how their brain works and they're just thinking. They're delaying it to come up with a response, but they're not being deceptive. That doesn't wipe out the rest of it. What if those didn't happen and you still had those other 20? Would that be enough for you to say, yeah, I think they're being deceptive. That's how you got to look at it. Biggest thing important to note is I always say, while there are people that do a lot of these things intentionally or intentionally in a specific moment, most of the time these actions are subconscious. People aren't doing them willingly. 
Some of them are doing them completely out of habit because they worked before, and sometimes it's their subconscious mind telling them to do it. It's not always intentional. It's not only always overtly bad. Sometimes it is, but don't assume that because people do things that we don't like or act in this manner that it's always intentional. That's not the case. Most of the time you'll find people do these things out of habit, out of reaction, sometimes out of stress and fear, sometimes out of survival. And in the mode they're in, these signs of deception come out, may not be as malicious as we think we are. So just remember, one of the biggest things to note is we don't see people how they are. We tend to see people how we are. So ask yourself that question. If you're seeing them that way, is that because that's what you think of people that do it on purpose? Or is that kind of the mode you get into when you're accused of it and you're doing it subconsciously and don't realize it? Or perhaps you're not doing it all and somebody misidentifies it. That's an important question to ask. It might help you understand and read people a little better.